See, again, like Psalm 3 that we looked at last week, this psalm shows David in the darker days of his reign. And it is his joy in the Lord above all, especially the circumstances that he was facing, that keeps him strong. Straight away, we see David is facing a crisis here. Come with me to verse 1 as we look at David's cry together. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. David begins this psalm rather abruptly, simply crying out to God. And we're not actually told what the specific situation is behind David's cry for help here. Like last week, if you were here, we were looking in Psalm 3. It was very clear David was lamenting over the betrayal of Absalom, his son, as as he fled for his life from his own flesh and blood. But we're not told the specific circumstances behind David's cry here. Of course, it must be bad. David is crying out in pain to God. That's how he starts. He's in need of relief. And yet even as David cries out to God here, he has a good reason to trust that his prayers are not a waste of time in the midst of his grief. You see how he describes God? Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. David knows God as his righteousness, as the one who has delivered justice to David in the past. You see how David goes on. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Uh, David could recall the faithfulness of the Lord from times past. His journey to the throne as God's king was not an easy one. It was full of hardship. His predecessor, King Saul, whom God had rejected for his sin, uh, Saul made it his life's ambition to destroy David before he had even got the throne, to put an end to David before he even became king. But God had been David's righteousness for him. He had delivered justice to David. David did get to the throne. Saul's schemes came to nothing. And so again here, David roots his confidence in the Lord as he cries to him over this trial that he's facing. And like I said, we're not given any specifics. But David does allude to, well, generally speaking, what the crisis might have involved here in general terms. Have a look in verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? This, it may not be Absalom's betrayal David is grieving over here, but it is something along those lines. These men that we're told about of Israel who are refusing to recognize David and his authority over them as God's king for them, they are a real nuisance. We're told, what are we told? They seek to turn David's honor to shame. Now, maybe they're trying to persuade others not to take David too seriously as king, uh, to look to another for security and provision. Now, before we think David is just full of self-pity here, you know, it's, it's not fair. My own citizens don't love me enough as their king. Just see what he says to those who have betrayed him. He gives them a loving warning. Basically, don't seek after lies. God's blessing is and always will be with his king. Have a look again in verse 2. He says to them, How long will you love vain words? 
hearts and seek after lives. David shows loving concern for the traitors, those who are betraying him here. He, he wants them to understand the folly of their rebellion against him as God's king. It seems, I think we can tell, that they were listening to the attractive claims of a rival. Perhaps another nation's king who was saying to them, abandon David, your king, and come over to us and we'll, we'll give you security, we'll give you provision, we'll, we'll make your days great. And yet David knows and he sees these promising words for what they really are. Vain words are seeking after lies. These men were committing themselves to a worthless cause that would bring about nothing but harm for them as they abandoned David as their king. Now, I committed myself to a worthless cause back when I was a teenager. I was going over to a friend's house one evening, and for my own safety, my parents, who loved me very much, they said to me, Tim, make sure you're back in time by, by 11 o'clock, basically my curfew back then. Make sure you're back by 11 p.m. They, they knew that the streets of my town weren't that safe in the early hours of the morning. And so he said, make sure, Tim, you get back by 11 p.m. tonight. But I knew that my mates wouldn't be heading home that early. And I thought to myself, oh, mum and dad, they're so old-fashioned. They're outdated. And I kicked up, kicked up a massive fuss, huge teenage temper tantrum, stormed out, grumbling as I went. And I walked down the road. And we had a, there was a, a payphone at the end of the road. And so I, I called them and I told mum, I'm not coming back. I'll be fine on my own. Carried on down the road towards my friend's place in a huff. But then it started to dawn on me. Hang on. I've got to get to college tomorrow morning. I've got really important exams to sit. And that means I've got to get to the train station because college was a good 20 kilometers away from my hometown. And that means I need to get a ride from my parents because I can't drive yet. Which meant, oh no, I really am dependent on dear mum, after all. And so had, had I persisted in my worthless cause, abandoning home that night, turning my back on my parents, well, it could have led to me failing those vital exams. And I might not be here today. Wouldn't that be terrible? <laughs> I would have brought upon myself much harm. So thankfully, realizing that, I turned tail, I returned home with much apology to the great relief of my dear mum. Well, if these faithless men persist in rejecting David as their king, if they abandon him for another, well, they are basically looking for hope where none can be found. They are putting themselves in harm's way. You see what David tells these traitors in verse 3? It's part of this warning. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. See, these, these traders are rejecting one whom the Lord has set apart, who the Lord has chosen and set apart for his good purposes. David associates himself here with the godly. And that's another term for those who show steadfast love for the Lord. And David associates himself with them, those who show steadfast love for the Lord. Now, David was not perfect. 
We know that as we looked at Psalm 3 last week. We we saw that the trial he was enduring in Absalom's betrayal, that was actually part of God's discipline on David for his adultery with Bathsheba and uh, seeking to murder her true husband, Uriah. David wasn't a perfect man in God's eyes, but he did show steadfast love for the Lord. Even when he sinned, he didn't turn his back on God. He accepted the Lord's discipline. He threw himself upon the Lord's mercy and he resolved to honor the Lord and sought to do his law. And for David, as he did that, he showed himself to be one whom the Lord had set apart for himself, one of the godly. He was still God's chosen king for his people, not rejected. And so it was David's prayers that the Lord would hear and answer as he says here. It was through David that God would still bless his people through him and his descendants. That's what the Lord had promised. You remember in 2 Samuel 7, David set out and said, I'm planning to, Lord, I'm planning to build you a house, a temple. And God said, no, David, I'm going to build you a house I'm going to build you a a dynasty. And through you and your descendants, I'm going to bless my people and bless the world. And this is the promise he made. 2 Samuel 7 verse 9. I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more. That's what God promised to his people through David, his chosen king, whom he had set apart for himself. Lasting peace, lasting security. And so for these traitors to turn their back on David, their king, to bring him shame rather than the honor that he deserved, and to look for hope elsewhere, they were abandoning God's blessing. They were looking for hope where none exists, away from the Lord, away from his king. It's like a fish that thinks it's better off outside of the water. They were selling themselves out to vain words that would not deliver, seeking after lies that would come to nothing. So David warns them, don't go against me, God's chosen king. There's no blessing, there's no life in the end outside of my reign. Then he gives a second warning in verse 4. Look in verse 4. David's second warning in this psalm. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Be angry and do not sin. Now, it's, it's actually quite hard to tell whether David is warning the rebellious men of verse 2 here, the traitors, or if he's speaking of the godly that he's mentioned and he's associated himself with in verse 3. You know, those who are showing steadfast love for the Lord and so steadfast love for his king. But I think what tips the balance is the way that the Apostle Paul uses these same words in Ephesians 4.26. He quotes from Psalm 4 later in his letter to the Ephesians, what we had read for us in our New Testament reading, as he addresses that church, the church that earlier in Ephesians 1 he had referred to as those whom God had set apart by his gospel. 
saved from sin by the blood of Jesus, now able to know life in him as their Lord and Savior. And one of the ways Paul tells the church to live out their faith in Christ, to live with Jesus as their Savior and King, is Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. David's warning from Psalm 4. The Apostle Paul sees these words from Psalm 4 as addressing the godly here. And Paul, the Apostle, he understood this psalm better than I ever will. This is a warning for God's people rather than the enemies of his king. So now that we know David is warning the godly here in verse 4 who are remaining faithful to him, let's work out what he means. Look again in verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. You see, David knew that his loyal friends would be angry. That was unavoidable and not wrong in and of itself. Rejecting God's king is evil. It is worthy of anger. And yet David's concern here is that the anger of his friends still loyal to him doesn't boil over into vengeance. That they don't take matters into their own hands and do away with the traitors themselves. Two wrongs do not make a right in the eyes of the Lord. So David warns them, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. To, To ponder in the heart, that means to think a decision through carefully. You know, after emotions like immediate anger have died down. And as they fought through carefully on their beds, maybe they might remember that for for David, their king, the Lord God was his righteousness. He was the one who would bring justice for his king in the end according to his promises. And so the priority for his friends was, well, we must continue to honor the Lord who will deliver David. Even in the way they mistreat our king. God would right every wrong in the end for David. He would vindicate his king, but not through the sinful desires of his own friends in vengeance. David tells them in verse 5, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Well, because David has that security in the Lord, He's able to show forth incredible strength in the closing verses of this psalm. Despite the anarchy that's surrounding him, despite the fact that his own people are betraying him and he's got loyal friends that want their blood. No, David continues to rejoice in the Lord. He is not overly disturbed. Now, David, he was a realist. He knew that even in Israel, amongst God's people, there would always, always be those who would look for security and comfort outside of his reign as their king, even though he was God's chosen king for them, through whom God promised that blessing. You see what he says in verse 6? There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. For, For God to lift up the light of his face upon Israel, that's another way of saying, God, bless us. As your people, lift up the light of your face upon us. Be the God who promised to provide security and provision that we need as your people. And it might be that the kingdom of David, Israel, it was facing hard times at this point. 
The harvest wasn't as plentiful as they hoped. The borders were looking weak. Uh, And they're using that current state of affairs as an excuse to abandon their king. Even though we know from Israel's history in the Old Testament, so many times they, they failed to receive God's blessing because they themselves were a stubborn, faithless, sinful people who refused to obey God's law. Yet they, they put the blame on David alone. They used this as an excuse to turn from him and look for security and comfort in another. Who will show us some good? But David isn't shaken. He doesn't despair because his joy isn't rooted in the opinion of others. Even when these traitors seem to prosper, seem to actually benefit from a time for turning from David their king, David can say, verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David's joy is rooted in a security far above the circumstances of his reign. It is the Lord that David depends on for peace. It's his promises that bring him, bring, uh, brings him comfort and calm, even in the darkest days of his reign. And so he retains this great inner strength. In the midst of turmoil, verse 8, David can say, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. What's the latest issue that kept you awake at night? You know, thoughts and fears running through your mind, you just can't switch off. Maybe an exam, maybe an interview, heavy work deadline, maybe facing your future in-laws for the first time. Those are the kind of things that have kept me awake at night. (laughs) And yet David is able to resolve to know peace. As he sleeps soundly this evening, despite facing a far, far greater threat than the mother-in-law, he trusts that God is faithful. He roots his joy in the Lord and his promises, not the immediate events of his life. And God was faithful to his promise. We can know that now. We can see how God acted as David's righteousness, how he delivered justice to his king, even as the traitors may have seemed to have prospered for a time. We know no mutiny succeeded against David in the end. He lived to a good old age. The throne remained with him and his descendants, just as God had promised. And for us today, we know that God is faithful to his every promise to his king. That he will never abandon his king or those who trust in him, who root their joy in him, because he's demonstrated it ultimately not in David, but in our king, in Jesus, in whom we see this psalm fulfilled, in whom we see joy in the Lord embodied perfectly, demonstrated for us. You know, like like David, Jesus was was rejected by those God gave him to bless. David, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? Well, Jesus had to withstand the ridicule of so many in Israel, as well as outside of it. As, As they sought their own selfish prosperity, as they sought to be blessed away from him, Herod, who sought to have Jesus killed at a young age to retain his throne, the Pharisees who plotted against Jesus in fear of losing their position, their control over the people, Pilate, 
who sought to find favor with the madding crowds, even though he knew Jesus was innocent and so gave him over to die. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, who wouldn't even acknowledge him when questioned by others during his trial. And yet, as Jesus, our King, was faithful, he showed steadfast love for the Lord in the midst of all his trials. He rooted his joy in his Father's will, trusting that that was better, that that was better than any immediate relief he could work at his own hands, but would mean turning away from the will of his Father. And so when even Jesus' own disciples, in loyalty for their Lord, that when they seek to take matters into their own hands and they seek to harm Jesus' enemies, well, Jesus refused to go along with it. On the night that he was arrested, hours before his execution, Peter, ever the hot-headed disciple, took a sword and he lunged at one of Jesus' captors and he cut off his ear. And what did Jesus say to him? Put your sword back into its place. All who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And so here we see Jesus enforcing the warning of David in in verse 4 of our psalm. Be angry, but do not sin. Oh, he could have taken things into his own hands. He could have destroyed his enemies in a moment. And yet instead, he entrusts himself to his Father's will that the Scriptures, the Father's word, be fulfilled. And so Jesus was obedient in every way. Oh, he he did get angry at times. We know that. Remember how he cleared the temple in righteous anger against those who disgraced it, made a whip of cords against those who were disgracing God's house? But he never let his anger prevent him from doing God's will. And so he himself willingly surrendered himself to the injustice of his enemies. Knowing that though they planned to destroy him, that was all part of God's plans to restore them and us to God himself. On the cross, Jesus bore your shame and my shame. All the ways in which we've sought security and blessing away from God and his king who made us to enjoy him above all. We've sought to root the security for our lives, what we decide to find our ultimate joy in, in in possessions, in pleasure, in selfish ambition for our own fame. And as we do that, we deny God as our God and we refuse to live for anything but him. And so Jesus bore our shame for which we deserve condemnation in his own body on the tree that our every moment of unfaithfulness might be punished in him, God's son, that we might be brought back through faith in his blood shed for us. We might know again in him the promise of God's rest away from the tyranny of sin that leads to nothing but death and destruction we might have the life we were made to know with God again in the blessing of his kingdom now and for all eternity one day. Uh, The life that we see Jesus embody after his death. He conquered the grave. 
He rose again and was vindicated as God's king as he put his enemies to shame and he showed to us his world that in him we can have the promise of life, even in the face of death. See, in our our psalm, David looked back to the ways in which God had delivered him, given him relief as his king in the past. But for us today, we look back to a far greater deliverance in Jesus, our king who redeemed us from the power of sin and death itself so that we might know the joy of God's forgiveness, that we might know life past death with him in his kingdom forevermore. And friends, as we trust in Jesus our King today, we need to root our joy, our contentment for life, for this coming year in him in his finished work for us, knowing that even in the the greatest storms of our lives, we are secure in his love. And as we resolve to do that, we will heed the warnings of this psalm. David's call to those faithless men, don't seek after lies away from God's blessing in his king. Now, if 2016 is like any other year, we can expect it to be full of new opportunities. Maybe a new job, a new relationship, For some of us, a new child is on the way. It's wonderful. But the one thing that won't change in 2016, if it's anything like the previous year, is the nature of the world in which we live. We're still awaiting the day when we will be delivered from the presence of sin itself. And for the moment, as we still live in this fallen world that looks to things like career and relationships and family and says, those are the things worth building your life upon. Those are the things that you need to root your joy in, put your security in. That's what our fallen world does and encourages us in doing the same because it's out of touch with the God who made us for himself, who offers us eternal life in his son. And so in sin, like the worthless men here, our world seeks after lies. Root your joy in your job, in your love life, in your kids, rather than the Lord who grants these great blessings that are good to enjoy for a time but they cannot secure us in every way friends they will not last they cannot bring us joy in death itself don't seek after lies in the coming year don't live for the blessings of the moment over and above the god who has granted us life in his son now and forevermore no matter what we face in the present. No, instead rejoice in Jesus, above all, as your Savior and King. Trust his words, come all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is nothing more secure than his love. Even death cannot overcome it. So come rain or shine in 2016, resolve to know Jesus as your Lord. And as we do that, we'll be able to entrust even our sufferings to him. You remember the second warning from this psalm? Be angry and do not sin. God's vindication is with his king. Now, this is a real challenge for me because I sin in my anger over the silliest of issues. You can just ask my wife, Melissa. She knows that most of the time I'm I'm a fairly even-tempted guy, but the minute I get into a car, the minute I get into a car in KL, and I prepare for the gauntlet of Jalantun Razak on a weekday morning. This transformation takes place. 
and even-tempered Tim becomes radically abusive Tim. So when I'm sinned against by the selfishness of other drivers, I find myself just instantly responding, retaliating in kind, cursing men and women made in the image of God and saying things of them I would never even say to their face just because they prevent me from getting from where I want to be as quickly as I'd like to be. And that's just driving a car in KL. It's not a serious case of injustice, is it? This coming year, we may be called to suffer far more for our faith in Christ than we have before. We may face greater pressure from family. We may face greater hostility from peers as we seek to share the good news of Christ with them And as we go through the furnace of the sufferings, of the mocking, it will stir up anger in our hearts. We're holding out the words of hope for eternal life, and all we're getting in return is hatred and disgrace. Now, we must note the warning of this psalm here is not, be angry and do not seek justice. As Christians, we can still seek vindication through the laws and authorities that God has put over our lands where that is necessary. But in those situations when we suffer for Christ and there is no just means of vindication available to us, we are told, be angry and do not sin. Two wrongs do not make a right in the eyes of the Lord. We're not to give as good as we get in revenge. Instead, we are to show our faith as we entrust ourselves to Jesus, our King, because we know that justice is coming in the end at his hand. Just as God vindicated David, his King, so he will vindicate all who belong to Jesus, our King. Because Jesus will come... And he will judge according to his perfect justice. He will right every wrong on that final day. And so in that promised security, we can let go of our desire for revenge. And we can leave it to God, who is just and will repay. Don't be consumed by your anger over the sins of others in 2016. Rejoice in the Lord who will judge justly in every way, who will right every wrong in the end. Well, friends, we will be able to heed these warnings, resisting the idolatrous lies of our world that lives for anything but Christ, resisting our desire for revenge as we suffer for Christ. We will be able to heed these warnings of this psalm only to the extent that we root our joy in Christ. We prize our security that he has won for us in the cross in him over and above the pleasures and the sufferings that we know in the here and now. We rejoice in Jesus, not our immediate circumstances. Now, how do we do that? Well, one of the ways God grows this joy in his son in us is through the encouragement of one another as we meet around his word together, as we spur one another on in our faith and our dependence on Christ. So make a priority of being here at SMAC or at your home church in the coming year. 
be here for one another unless you have a really good reason not to be. Great opportunity for us to be gathering together around God's word and encouraging one another in it so that we can see how Christ is better and continue living faithfully for him in whom our life is secure. So it's one way. Here are just a few others that we can be growing in our joy in him. Growth groups. Starting up again on the 7th of January, we're running them again on Thursday evenings in different parts of the city each week. All the information, as always, is on the back of the bulletin. And if you haven't joined a growth group yet, now is actually a really good time to do so. Because many of the current members are actually, may well be changing groups. Even if you haven't joined a group yet, you won't be the only newcomer to that group in the coming year. Make the most of that opportunity to get into a smaller group and share in this word of promising Christ with one another. Wrestle in it together and encourage one another. See how Christ is better than the lives of our world. For the men, we're going to be running our monthly breakfast together on Saturday mornings. Great chance to catch up, share our lives, and work through a short study in God's word. Jim can tell you all about it. He's one of our faithful regulars. He'd love to encourage you in that later. For the women, the Cathedral Women's Bible Study meets twice a week every Thursday, and I'm sure Judy would love to tell you more about it. Why not ask her after the service? For those of us who can manage two evenings a week, then sign up for one of the TNT courses. Use those lessons to grow in this word alongside others, to know God's love to us in his King. Grow in our joy in him, rooting our security for life in him and nowhere else. Those are just a few of the opportunities. There will be many more in the coming year. But above all, as we face the new year together, whatever resolutions you decide for 2016, resolve to know and love Jesus as your King, above all, in whom we have every blessing. Root your joy in Him, because God has blessed us secured us and granted us eternal rest even in the face of death in Christ and in Christ alone. So resolve to know and love and serve him as your king. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that it speaks to us of the joy that your king in David knew as he put his trust and his security in you and in your faithfulness despite the storm that he was facing. We thank you for the ways in which this psalm has been fulfilled in your son in whom we have the promise of eternal life because he endured every trial in perfect obedience to you he gave his life for us that we might live. So I pray for us as we do prepare for 2016, whatever resolutions we make, we will be resolving to know and love and depend on Christ our King above all, in whom we are secure, even in the face of death. Please strengthen us in these things, we pray, for his name's sake. Amen.